We know software developers make mistakes. That's why, you know, quality assurance teams exist. And in some cases, you know, a particular integration maybe has a bug that is going to uh, corrupt some of the data that you have and that you rely on. I, I mentioned the malicious employee that's spray painting the inside of your office space. We've seen that happen where you've accidentally forgotten to revoke access rights to somebody who has the ability to go in and mess around with a particular important piece of data. Those ones are kind of shocking when you hear those stories. But I mean, you know, the reality is, is that kind of stuff happens. The best one, and I, I mean, it still sticks with me today because it, it really stands out, was we had a customer reach out to us to say, um, I was working away. I got distracted from something. I turned away from my desk and my cat jumped on my keyboard and the cat happened to hit the right combination of keys and completely wiped out uh, <laughs> something that they were working on. So, you know, we really kind of have seen it all. Right. Cats on the internet. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just seeing that cat, you know, playing the piano. That's what I'm yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host, Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. And I am joined, as I often am, by my co-host, Ryan Donovan, the editor of our Stack Overflow blog. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ben. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Ryan, you were recently promoted to senior content marketer. I am a senior <laughs> director we are both geriatric millennials Very no, old. you're gen x i'm gen x, gen x? Yeah. Wow, even better we're old officially old i'm so gen x i don't care what generation i'm in exactly but today we are going to be talking about a company that we did a blog post with in the past rewind that blog post is about the sort of shared responsibility model and the kind of backups that they offer for services like GitHub, you know, what happens if a big code base you really need, you know, you can't access or for code compliance around governance and things like that. Today, we're going to be, yeah, focused a bit on that. And we're going to be meeting some of the folks that work on this stuff, as well as a bit of SOC 2 compliance, which is an odyssey you and I have been through and can be quite <laughs> painful. So maybe how we can make it less painful for people. Yeah. So yeah, let me welcome to the podcast, James and Megan. Hello to both of you. Why don't you introduce yourselves and tell the folks who are listening who you are and what it is you do at Rewind. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having us. My name is James. I am the CTO and co-founder of Rewind. I've been in tech, various industries for about 20 years. I've done some some work in the telecom space. I've done some work in fintech. You know, I've spent a lot of time in startups over my my career, a couple of big companies, and really started Rewind as a hobby project. I lead the engineering team. I'm responsible for product development. I'm responsible for security, and I'm responsible for cloud operations. So, when you say was this like a Wordle? Like, did you build this just for fun, <laughs> or like, what do you mean hobby project? I was kind of bored with my day-to-day -day life, to be honest, and I was looking for something that uh, allowed me to get back into some technical roots. I'd sort of moved into a management-type role, and I was missing the day-to-day -day, you know, technical side of writing code. So I sought out somebody that I could start something with, and I didn't really have any sort of idea in mind, but I met up with my co-founder, somebody uh, that I met in one of my past experiences. His name's Mike Potter. He's our CEO. And uh, together, we tried a couple of different projects. And uh, Rewind sort of came about when we recognized there was a problem with a rather large and popular e-commerce platform that happens to run down the road from us. <laughs> we noticed you know, something in the data security space that uh, we thought might be interesting to, to start with. And 
That's where the genesis of Rewind came from. And Megan, for the folks who are listening, why don't you tell them who you are? Yeah, what it is you do and a little bit of your technical background as well. So my name is Megan. I'm an information security and risk compliance manager at Rewind. So I've been working in a security and compliance field for coming up to seven years this year. So my main focus in cybersecurity is on the the risk and compliance side. So I tend to be responsible for managing our SOC 2 compliance program and security related risks in the business. So we know the blog post, we talked a bunch about the shared responsibility model. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It was kind of a, a new concept for me when I saw it. Yeah, just to give like some more context, Rewind exists today to protect businesses. So we took it from this hobby project to this much greater purpose of trying to help businesses really of any size protect their cloud data. So, you know, when we started this thing, we we realized that data that was in the cloud is something that is important to be protected at all possible levels. And when a service provider provides a service, they're providing assurance that that service is going to be available and secure at all times. But you, as the customer of that cloud service provider, it's kind of on you to ensure the safety and security of your slice of that data, the service that they're that they're providing. And a lot of customers of these services, they don't really realize that. I heard this great analogy the other day that I'd love to kind of share about the shared responsibility model. It's not mine. I won't take ownership <laughs> of it. But when I heard it, I'm like, this is fantastic. You could think of the shared responsibility model as a state where the cloud service is like a property manager. The property manager provides general building security for all of the tenants that run their businesses out of the offices that they provide. So they provide functions, things like uh, running water, heating, cooling, even parking, right? And if something happens to the building, the air conditioning or whatever, they take the responsibility to fix that. Your data, though, that's what goes like inside the office. So like your furniture, the coffee machine, your office plants, that's your stuff. Those are your responsibilities. So if someone breaks into your office and steals your favorite ficus or whatever because you left the door unlocked, that's on you. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, right? If you rearrange your office furniture to, or if you want to rearrange your office furniture to the way that it was a month ago, you need to do that yourself. If a disgruntled employee decides to spray paint your walls or whatever, that's on you to, to resolve. That I thought was a really interesting analogy to differentiate where that responsibility lies and who who owns that responsibility. Kind of the, the rental insurance model. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a rental insurance or like the facilities team, but you're sort of a third party version of that, right? You got it. That's right. So with everybody's working out of these SaaS systems, everybody's exposed to this shared responsibility model. Do you have any idea like how much exposure people have these kind of SaaS applications? Yeah, I mean, as we kind of dug into this problem a little bit more, you know, we started to realize that businesses, depending on their size, they can have anywhere from 100 to 300 cloud-enabled applications running within their business today. And if you kind of do the back of the envelope math of what that means, especially when you factor in like the number of users that maybe are using those SaaS applications, then, you know, someone like me starts to sweat a little bit because that's a lot of area in which you could potentially have security and data concerns. So for us, you know, once we reached a certain size, we started to ask ourselves, like, how do we ensure that we're practicing good security and data habits? Right. And further to that, you know, we even found that our customers were asking us, like, prove to us, how can you give us the assurance that you rewind or doing all the right things to ensure like continuity of your business 
in certain cases, there are regulatory risks that we need to be cognizant of. Right. And also just making sure that we as Rewind make sure that we are around and available at all times because, right, like we provide assurances for businesses that their data will be protected at all times. So it's important for us to always, you know, be available, if you will. So once we started to process that, we sought out, you know, a framework in which we could really formalize the, the, the security practices and policies that we had in place. And what we opted for was a, a framework that's known as SOC 2. One thing that jumps to my mind, more as a layperson, but somebody who looks at technology from a high sort of level is thinking about Stack Overflow, which started in 2008. You know, at the beginning, we had servers on site. We had a database, you know, with like local storage. When Hurricane Sandy came through, people were trudging up and down the stairs with water buckets to keep that stuff running. You know, and now the company runs, as you said, with hundreds of different services inside, probably maybe not hundreds, but lots and lots of different services inside that are ingesting data or being used as digital tools, you know, a whole bunch of different, you know, operations that belong to third parties, as well as mostly, you know, trying to exist in the cloud. So that transformation, which has happened over the last 12 years, in a lot of ways makes it easier for new companies to get off the ground quickly, but right for a big company introduces this giant complexity of where is stuff living and who is responsible for it. And then especially in the case of a crisis, <laughs> where do we go to make sure we can restore things properly, right? Exactly. Bang on. Obviously, with the risks, there are some disasters that happen. So what are the, some of the like data horror stories that you've seen happen <laughs> to people? I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. And what's been really impressive is the number of different ways in which these kinds of disasters can strike companies. You know, we've seen everything from the accidental, oops, I clicked a button that I shouldn't have. And ultimately, you know, overwrote some significant piece of data that is pertinent to the operation of a business. We've seen cases where a lot of these cloud applications, they offer third party components. I mean, Rewind is one of those, right? Like we plug into the platform in order to provide the service that we offer. We know software developers make mistakes. That's why, you know, quality assurance teams exist. And in some cases, you know, a particular integration maybe has a bug that is going to uh, corrupt some of the data that you have and that you rely on. I, I mentioned the malicious employee that's spray painting the inside of your office space. We've seen that happen where you've accidentally forgotten to revoke access rights to somebody who has the ability to go in and mess around with a particular important piece of data. Those ones are kind of shocking when you hear those stories, but I mean, you know, the reality is, is that kind of stuff happens. The best one, and I, I mean, it still sticks with me today because it, it really stands out, was we had a customer reach out to us to say, um, I was working away, I got distracted from something, I turned away from my desk, and my cat jumped on my keyboard, and the cat happened to hit the right combination of keys and completely wiped out uh, <laughs> something that they were working on. So, you know, we really kind of have seen it all. Right. Cats on the internet. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just seeing that cat, you know, playing the piano. That's what I'm yeah. <laughs> So, Megan, I know later we're going to dive a bit more into SOC 2 and stuff, but you know, with your training and your background, when you look at this, do you think that this is something that should be handled by every company in a way that's right for them? Something that should be handled, you know, more at the level of a SOC 2 compliance where it's universal? Like, what is the best approach for somebody who's listening to this, who may be at a small, medium, large organization to think about both the data safety and security side of things? The good thing about frameworks like SOC 2 or uh, a similar one like ISO 27001 is that they're built in mind to provide a framework for, for people to follow to help them create that security assurance and security baseline 
so everybody can build these controls into their business. And there's a level of flexibility there with how you can organize your controls. And your controls are statements like we have a password policy in place. And these are the, the way that our passwords are enforced. MFA is enforced in our business about so control. So you have like a level of flexibility into how you uh, word your controls. And the way these are designed is so that you can implement them into your business of, of any size. So... I would say for anyone who is starting out is to have a look at SOC 2, have a look at, they're called the uh, the trust services uh, criteria, and then you can get a good picture of the kind of controls that uh, SOC 2 is looking for for you to have in place. And then just see how close you already are to, to having these best practices in place, because they are based on best practices. So there may be a lot of stuff that you're already doing and you already have in place, but you just need to formalize a bit more, document more, and uh, provide an audit trail to to show that you have these uh, uh, procedures and policies in place. I mean, I, I think now that we're we're sort of getting into it, tell us what SOC 2 actually is. I mean, I've written about it. I've been peripheral to some of the uh, the audits, and I'm not entirely sure what SOC 2 is myself. Sure. And I'll give the, the formal description of how it is on paper and then how I like to explain what SOC 2 is. So the acronym SOC itself, so SOC, uh, stands for System and Organization Controls. And a SOC 2 report is, so it's based on the Auditing Standards Board of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, so AICPA, a very uh, lengthy title for it, but it's these are auditing standards and are called the Trust Services Criteria. So in a nutshell, so SOC 2 is a report that you receive after completing an audit. And uh, the purpose of that report is to evaluate your, your company, your organization against a set of categories called the trust service principles. So, and this is an evaluation on your uh, security controls, or it can also be your availability, processing integrity, confidentiality, and privacy controls, if you choose to cover all of those principles. The only mandatory one is uh, security, and then you can build on top of that. So the purpose of a SOC 2 report is to document that you can show to your customers that you provide a level of insurance that you have strong controls in place with the focus on keeping your systems and customer data secure. So a lot of companies, especially uh, SaaS companies, as they start to grow and start attracting enterprise level customers, you'll reach a point where you're going to be asked, oh, do you have a SOC 2 report? Like fill out a security questionnaire. You know, you start to get a lot of them. And so not having SOC 2 can become a blocker at some stages. So it's not only like a great bit of assurance to kind of provide your customers. It's also a great start to building and developing an internal uh, security and compliance program that you can build off. And there's uh, there's the type one and type two reports. What's the difference between them? So the difference between uh, SOC 2 type one and type two is that a type one audit is more focused on like a snapshot of time. So you show that you have these controls in place. So say, for example, if one of your controls was our employees have background checks prior to being hired, you'd show evidence that you have that process in place. And now when you move on to a type two audit, it introduces what's uh, referred to as an observation period or an audit period where you have a set period of time where your evidence for the auditors is is sourced from. So companies tend to do this over an annual period. So you're looking at over the space of a year or six months. It's totally up to you. There may be some regulated industries that require a more frequent audit period, but for most uh, SaaS companies, an annual audit period tends to be the sweet spot. 
So from my experience, if you can, if you, your company has like little auditing experience and stock is, is totally new, information security audits is totally new, I'd say to try and, and get a type one first and then you can kind of get your feet wet in the auditing process and build up some rapport with your auditors, but you still get a great report to share with your auditors at the end. You said build up a, a rapport with your auditors. Is this somebody who you see over and over? You know, is this like when they rate my, my mortgage bonds AAA? Am I allowed to influence these people who say I have good security or not? <laughs> so I've just found with working with auditors, because you're building a relationship with this company that is, you know, is coming to kind of pick through your processes. And it's just nicer to have a relation, like an open, you know, relationship with them. You need to have an honest relationship with them. And, you know, they want you to succeed and they want you to have the best report to share with your customers. So I've always had the most positive relationship with auditors when you have that open format where you can ask them questions and you know, seek advice on how we can improve processes and how we can better improve our evidence collection processes, because that not only uh, makes audits easier, it makes their lives easier as, as well. And, and some auditors um, and companies do provide services, stuff like a pre-gap analysis or a readiness assessment, which is kind of like a dry run of your audit to see how ready you are to go into the, the, the real thing. And some even provide uh, services to help build the wording of your control. So it's a good way to build that relationship with of your auditor and your, your trust with your auditor and they can see that you're building a compliance program out of this. You're not just trying to get through an audit, you know, you're, you're building something more that you're going to be doing, you know, year on year. When you go through the audit, what's, what's the sort of tools, what's the information that they're, they're looking at? How can you put the controls in? Yeah. So there's, absolutely no wrong way to approach your like audit like tool wise so i've been part of audits where we've just solely worked off spreadsheets just like hundreds of lines of spreadsheets and and that's worked totally fine but i've also now had the experience of working with they're called SOC 2 compliance and monitoring platforms and so they tend to be SaaS tools themselves and there's been a really big boom in the past few years and so after using both methods I think I wouldn't personally like to go back to spreadsheets because there's these tools help really with the longevity of your compliance program. And you can help keep your SOC 2 audit process kind of an ongoing machine with more visibility and less admin work. So I prefer to use something like that because it's not like a set it and forget it approach where you just kind of return to a spreadsheet every year. It helps you monitor the controls that you have in place and helps keep your control owners, which are employees who are responsible for making sure that we stay compliant with those controls also have access to that information as well. And you can kind of collaborate through that tool. The two of you have, have a lot of experience. James, you know, coming to this from that perspective, you said of like dealing with crises and Megan, you on the security side. If people are listening, like what are some, you know, tips and tricks, like things that you've learned, mistakes you've made so other folks don't have to, you're the insiders, you're the pros. For people who are listening and, and considering, you know, what tools to use or what approaches to use for their organization, what would you recommend? So I'll start off, and Megan's the resident expert, so she, I think she's got a lot of really good insights here. But the big learning that that I had, because I haven't gone through this process before, is that every company should have a Megan. <laughs> when we started this process, I kind of looked at somebody in in our team and I said, like, I think this is important. We need to start this and and like run with this. And they did a great job, but we didn't really like accelerate this process internally until we hired Megan because she came in with a lot of context, a lot of experience, and she really kind of took the bulls by the horns, if you will, to drive us to the, the finish line that we're getting to. So for me, that was the biggest learning, like get somebody who knows what they're doing. And like for us, that's Megan. Megan, besides being you, what would you recommend? <laughs> 
So, I mean, every time I go through an audit, like even for doing this for years now, like I learn something new and a lot of that comes from the auditors as well. So, you know, some key things that I found is just always improving your, your audit trail. So making sure that you have something to verify that you're, you're doing what you're saying that you're doing. So, you know, making sure that you have, you know, logs available. And if tools that you use don't have logs available, have some way of recording like, okay, we did this user access review. We checked that this, uh, access is given at the level it's supposed to be given to this employee and then any changes that we made. So if you do need to kind of move that out into like a spreadsheet where we, you record that information because you're maybe not using a, a tool that can allow you to do that, make sure you've always got a way of proving that you're doing what you, you say that you're doing. So really go for that um, as a you know common phrase, a trust but verify approach. You can trust people are doing these processes uh to stay compliant with your SOC 2 controls, but always make sure you can verify what you're doing because that's exactly what your auditor is going to come and do is they want to see, you know, that they, you are doing what you say that you're doing and, you know, you need uh, evidence to to prove that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just to see if you wanted to talk about your SOC 2 process. I know this was the first time for Rewind to go through it. So how did that go? I joined the uh, so the Rewind team when the the ball had already started rolling uh, with this, and I think Rewind took a really great approach of taking advantage of doing a readiness assessment, so checking that you're you know you're ready to go before the real deal happens, and working with an auditor to help word and, and frame our controls. So for me coming into that situation to be able to say like you know look we're already you know working on this like this is how far we've already got. It's just for me to kind of come in and, and connect the dots to you know the hard work that was already being done. Ben you asked about you asked about maybe how like rewind plays into this process or how rewind can help mm-hmm. with this process. And I I can speak to that a little bit. Like Megan talked about some of those trust service criteria that fall into the SOC 2 report. And one of them is availability and disaster recovery relates to those items. And that's really the sweet spot where Rewind comes in and can provide value and service to customers that are looking to make sure that they can satisfy their own internal controls as it relates to the business continuity aspect of that report. The backup and restore functions that we give are really tailored towards that specific need. And so as a business is defining those controls and and outlining for their auditors, you know, the steps that they are taking to ensure that they have the right, you know, availability components in place, Rewind can provide tools by backing up their SaaS services to tick those boxes. And to add to that as well, if you're using SaaS applications that you need to provide uh, evidence for, like in your audit, so if you're using tools to like, you know, like Jira to track certain processes, you're using like GitHub, then, you know, if you were to lose that data that you rely on for your audit trail, that's a, a big issue when it comes to your audit, because, you know, how do you go back and say, okay, over this period that this auditor has requested to see evidence of, where has it gone? You know, <laughs> how do we, how do we get that back? So it's, a, I think that's another great value is, and it's something that people don't often think about is, you know, we're using these services to, to help us in this situation, but what do we do if that's not there anymore? Because somebody accidentally deleted it, you know, and it can't be restored or worse. So I think that's another approach to how Rewind can help with, uh, with SOC 2. Or in the extreme case, you've been deplatformed. I mean, uh, many terms of services for that exist on these SaaS uh, platforms say, like, you know, we reserve the right to terminate your access at the drop of a hat. Mm. That would be a bad day if you you had you know critical information as it relates to really anything, but like your SOC report for for that matter captured in one of those tools. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting example because it's it's true that you often rely, at least you think you can rely on going back to them, but you know, that kind of rupture, you wouldn't be able to turn to the person who was providing you the service, which is kind of, that's not a disaster scenario I had envisioned, but now it's on my mind. So <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried to email Google? <laughs> <laughs> they don't often get back to you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. As we do this time of the show, I'm going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow and helped save a question from the dustbin of obscurity, awarded 10 hours ago to Jamie Lack. Python, how to identify a negative number in a list. Wow, that's a real classic. So we've got it for you, asked eight years ago, still providing knowledge to people across the internet. I am Ben Popper. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can always email us with questions and suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, do leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at rthordonovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. Thanks again, Ryan and Ben, for having us. My name is James. I'm the CTO and co-founder at Rewind. If you want to learn more about Rewind or myself, head on over to rewind.com. Uh, we've got a great blog that captures some of the processes and tips and tricks around SOC 2 as well, rewind.com slash blog. Thank you, Ben and Ryan. My name's Megan. I'm an information security and risk compliance manager at Rewind. I'm not really on any socials, but if you do want to learn more about SOC 2 and the process we went through at Rewind, uh, yeah, check out our blogs on the rewind.com website. All right, everybody. We will throw the links that Megan and James mentioned in the show notes so you can find them there. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>